Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Good morning. morning. It's great to be back with everyone this morning. This morning we're going to be continuing our Everyday Spirituality series. And I've left my clicker over there, so I'm going to get it. Everyday Spirituality series that we've been doing over the last five weeks. And in this series, we've been looking at encountering God and living out faith in the daily, the ordinary, and the normal. And we've been looking at this book, using the book Naked Spirituality by Brian McLaren as a bit of a starting point throughout this series, launching from these 12 simple uh, spiritual practices that he outlines in his book. So throughout his book, Brian summarises each of these everyday spiritual practices using one word to help us kind of take hold and remember each of these practices. So I want to start by finding out if that's worked. Do we remember these one word spiritual practices from the book? Does anyone remember the first one we looked at five weeks ago? Here, great. And then? This is good. And then after O, it was? Oh, Thanks, yeah. And then after thanks, it was not help. It was sorry. And then there's a bit of a clue for what was last week. What was it last week? There we go. And today, so this is what we've looked at so far. Here, oh, thanks, sorry, and help. And today, we're at week six, looking at the word please. And if you were here for the first week of this series, you would have heard Simon explain about how each of these words go alongside a season of life, a season of life that goes with these practices. The first three words, here, oh, and thanks, are all about awakening to God's presence. And they're usually emphasised particularly in the seasons of simplicity, when our faith seems simple, when we're latching on to those simple things in our faith. And then the last three weeks, including today, are spiritual practices all about strengthening our walk with God. These three words, sorry, help, and please are particularly prevalent when we're in a season of complexity, when we recognise that our simple faith is starting to feel maybe more difficult, when we're starting to ask some of those questions and recognising that we make mistakes, that we need help, and that we live in a broken world. I'm just going to tuck my shoelaces in so no one gets stressed that I'm going to fall over. (laughs) It's the kind of thing that makes you then not listen to a thing that I say because you're thinking he's going to fall over. These three practices uh, are ways for each of us 
to grow in our faith, even in the midst of complexity. Sorry, help, and please. How we can grow in our faith in the midst of complexity. So today we're looking at the last of those three words, uh, of those three words that are about this season of complexity, that Brian McLaren summarises using the word please. And I want to start by saying the focus on this, the focus on this word, on please, is not about asking God for something in our life, but instead please is about having compassion for others and interceding in their life. It's more of asking God to do something in the world, in someone else's life. It's basically a result of seeing the complexity of the world and the complexity of other people's lives and having empathy towards them. When something bad happens to people, when something bad happens to someone around us, there are two responses that we can make. Firstly, there's the response of deep empathy and compassion that leads us into action through prayer and relationally. And the other response is to disconnect from their pain through apathy or despair or self-distancing. And for us to approach today well, to approach this idea of please, I think it's really important that we start by recognising that every single one of us have the tendency at times to disconnect from pain and suffering. To disconnect, maybe it is through apathy or despair or self-distancing. All of us would love to say that in every situation we are always empathetic, that we're always compassionate. And that compassion always leads us into action. But the reality is, and I think it's important that we start by understanding this and recognising this in ourselves. The reality is, sometimes our response to pain, our response to people's suffering, is to disconnect, even if unintentionally. This disconnection could be a result of a lack of confidence, not knowing what to say to that person. I don't know how to respond to their suffering. What can I do in this situation? Or maybe it's the awkwardness of seeing someone so vulnerable or that seeing someone else's pain brings up too much pain in ourselves. There are many reasons that might lead us to disconnecting with others pain with suffering and distancing ourselves from it when I was a teenager I remember this exact feeling of awkwardness I'm quite an awkward person when things aren't as expected and I remember this feeling of awkwardness leading me to being distant from a friend in pain My parents went away for the weekend, so I was staying at my mate's house for a couple of days. And we had so much planned. We had lots of sport planned, as always. We were going to see our beloved Bournemouth 
at Dean Court, play on the Saturday, their home pitch. This weekend, we'd been planning for a long time. We'd been talking about for ages. My parents were away, and I was going to spend the whole weekend with him. And it started, of course, on the Saturday morning with a kickabout. So we head down to the football pitch, and we decided we're going to start taking some penalties against one another. And we're getting really competitive in this moment. Each person in goal is flinging themselves to the floor in their attempt to save the other person's penalty. And we were having a great time until I hit an amazing penalty. Smashed it, top left of the goal. And almost in slow motion, I see my friend Jack fling himself towards the ball. And he makes an unbelievable save. Still to this day, I have no idea how he did it. And the, uh, the ball makes contact with his arm as he's flying through the air. And he falls in pain and suddenly things aren't slow motion anymore. Because his arm is completely out of place. In making this unbelievable save, he had very severely broken his arm. And before I knew it, the ambulance arrived. So it was pretty bad for a broken arm to have an ambulance arrive. And he was taken into hospital. And this was a disaster for three reasons. Firstly, he was suffering. Probably the most important reason. Secondly, I felt partially to blame for it. What if I shot the other side in my penalty? What if I hit the ball differently? And thirdly, our weekend was ruined. But my main memory of this event was the few weeks after the incident happening. Because I was so worried, what am I going to say to him? I felt partially to blame for this situation. Obviously, I didn't mean to break his arm, but if I did something different, his arm wouldn't have been broken. I felt partially to blame, and because he was in pain, my response was to distance myself from him, to not go and see him simply because I didn't know what I was supposed to say when I went to see him. I didn't know what my first word would be when I went to see him in pain. Instead, I kept myself busy. I spent a lot of time with other people. I filled my time and I waited for him to be in less pain before I went to spend time with him again. And now the reason I wanted to tell you this is because whilst this is probably the result of a slightly immature teenager learning how to deal with other people's pain, I think when we reflect on our own reality, whilst we probably hide it better with something like a text saying thinking of you or praying for you, many of us will recognise those behaviours. That slight awkwardness of, I don't really know what to say, so maybe I don't say anything. I don't really know how to see them, when to see them, what to do when I see them. Today we're looking at what it looks like to practice compassion and intercession. 
to feel the pain of someone else and to take that weight upon ourselves. For the suffering of others to stir us into action through prayer and support. A couple of months ago, we spent some time looking at prayer. We spent some time looking at a life of prayer. And Simon spoke about intercession. Standing in the gap between God and others is how he explained it. And he said how interceding is calling on the kingdom of God to come to earth. Often this kind of prayer is a cry out for justice. It's a response to seeing someone in pain or in suffering, seeing something in the world that isn't right and saying, God, will you come? Will your kingdom, your kingdom of goodness come into this situation? Will you come and do something? It's crying out to God saying, will you come and affect this situation? And when we come before God in intercession, what we're saying is, please, God, will you make this right? Please, God, will you end the pain? Please, God, will you bring justice? When we intercede for someone, we're affirming two profound truths. The first truth is that God cares for all who suffer. And the second truth is that we care as well. When we intercede for someone, we are affirming the truths that God cares for the person we are interceding for and that we care for them as well. If we didn't believe that God cared, then we wouldn't turn to him. Neither would we if we didn't care. We simply wouldn't waste our time. To intercede says a very simple but profound thing. It says this. At the very least, two people profoundly care for your situation. At the very least, two people profoundly care for your situation, God and me. So to come before God saying, please, with intercession and compassion, it's a countercultural decision. We know that each of us have things in our lives that needs intercession from God. But in interceding for someone else, we're making a vital connection between our compassion and God's compassion. We're making a connection between those two things. It's a selfless act. And we're making a stand We're making a stand with them in prayer and we're calling upon God to not refuse. Uh, We're calling on God to refuse to turn away from them. This is a necessary task for the follower of Jesus in a broken world. 
Intercession is a necessary task for the follower of Jesus because we live in a broken world. And it's both necessary for the hurting and for us as we intercede. Brian McCarran explains this in a little thought experiment that goes a little bit like this. Picture yourself turning on the TV. The channel is BBC and it's time for the news. Breaking news flashes across the screen. And it's another war in a troubled corner of the world. Hearing about fellow humans in suffering and in pain leaves us with a predicament. How do we respond? Consider your options. You can switch over the channel to a game show or an easy-watching sitcom. But what kind of person am I becoming if I routinely practice pain avoidance and choose to ignore my fellow human who is suffering. You could keep watching and slowly get overwhelmed or even depressed by the evil and the suffering in the world, but then haven't we then just become another casualty of evil? You could become so accustomed to suffering that it no longer bothers you. You could even call this approach realism. But isn't that just selfish, showing no compassion to others? You could find someone to blame for this suffering, and instead of seeking compassion, seek fury and self-righteousness as you identify a villain. But is this really the best version of myself? Or we could blame God. Stop believing in God as a result of the suffering But how's that going to help me sustain faith, love and hope? Clearly then, Brian explains, the suffering of others puts us in a predicament, a moment of choice. Will we, in our response to others' pain, become more uncaring, overwhelmed, bitter and selfish or... Will we strengthen our connection with God and with one another by allowing ourselves to feel deep compassion and desiring relief for our fellow creatures in pain? If we don't make this choice, we slide towards apathy, self-distancing or despair. For me, this so-called thought experiment that Brian articulates is very, uh, very good at putting across the problems that we have in deciding how to respond to suffering. And as I read this, it reminded me a little bit of 2020, when COVID-19 was starting to get a little bit scary. Some of us would stay away from the news, didn't want to hear any of it out of fear. Some of us soaked in all the information we could possibly get hold of. We knew all the figures. It became almost an academic issue rather than a reality. 
Some of us attempted to surround ourselves with apathy. Well, there's not much we can do really, is there? It's just the reality of what's going on. So what's the point in thinking about it? We each had our personal response. In the Gospels, there's an amazing story of what compassion and intercession looks like. And I'm going to read it now. If you have your Bibles, will you open with me to Mark chapter 2? It is going to go on the screens behind us. It says this, Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there, were, that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they, could not get in because, uh, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowds, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Just imagine being there for a second. Imagine the scene. Jesus's teaching is starting to become famous, particularly in Capernaum. And when he starts teaching uh, his disciples in a home, There's a bit of a rumour going around. The teacher is teaching. Come and see his teaching. So, so many people start to gather around this house that it's causing disruption in the village. As crowds gather, the number going up and up every few minutes. A raucous around the village as people try to get a glimpse of this teacher. Meanwhile, the news of Jesus's healing is starting to spread. And for four people, when they hear of the healer, they immediately think of their friend who was born paralysed. What if these stories about Jesus were true? They may have started thinking, I hope Jesus walks past him. I really hope Jesus comes into contact with our friends because then maybe Jesus will notice him and heal him. And then one of them had a thought. We can't risk it. 
There's too much at stake. We can't risk that Jesus will walk past our friend. We care too much for him. We need to intercede. Their love for their friend leads them to a sense of duty to bring their friend before Jesus. So they become stretcher bearers. They place their friend in a stretcher and head towards where Jesus was rumoured to be teaching. But when they arrive, it's a disaster. It's far too busy. They are never going to get their friend to Jesus. I guess it's finally time to give up and to go home. And then I imagine, as they looked at each other in disappointment, One of them turned to the others with this crazy idea. What if, what if we could just get on top of that roof, open up the roof by digging a hole through it, and then we could skip past the crowd and lower him right before Jesus? The four friends then look at each other. This is a crazy idea. There's no chance we can do that. And then they look down at their friend. And they catch a glimpse of his eye. Even lying down in a stretcher, they can see how deflated he is. They lock eyes with him. And suddenly they're overwhelmed by love and compassion for him, for his situation. We have to give it a try. What's interesting is in this passage, what it says is that Jesus was impressed by their faith. It doesn't say Jesus was impressed by the faith of the paralyzed man. It says that Jesus was impressed by their faith. He was impressed by the faith of his friends. See, the faith of the paralyzed man's friends impacted Jesus' response to the situation. See, this is a biblical mandate for us to come before God in intercession, in petition for God's healing and for his kingdom on behalf of someone else. Friends filled with compassion and with love who are willing to let the weight of his condition literally become their burden to bear. Let his problem create a problem for them. And Jesus saw this love. They saw, he saw this compassion. He saw the faith. And the paralyzed man walked away healed. In intercession, what we are doing is we are pleading to God on the behalf of others. We are becoming stretcher bearers. We are working on the behalf of someone else. It's an act of selflessness and it's an act of love, but it's also a real privilege that we may mediate between God and someone else. There's a theological term 
that describes this authority that God gives each of us. And the term is priesthood of all believers. And what this term is understood to mean is that each of us as followers of Jesus are able to approach God without an intermediary. uh, intermediary. We don't need a priest or a pastor present to be able to come before God. But it actually goes beyond this. It goes beyond that simple explanation. It's more of a mandate to be an intermediate for someone else, intermediary for someone else, to become a stretcher bearer, to carry the burden of someone else, to give faith to the faithless, to give hope to the hopeless. The priesthood of all believers is about becoming that person, that priest, if you like, that pastor to our communities, that we all have this mandate on us to be compassion, to be love in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. It's a mandate to be the person that is showing who Jesus is, of being Jesus's hands and feet, being his love, being his compassion. We have a role, we have a mandate to carry the burden, to give faith to the faithless and hope to the hopeless. We have a role of intercession, both in prayer and in practice in our communities. And the great thing about it is it doesn't need extraordinary intelligence, understanding of theology. It doesn't need great social skills. It doesn't need great pastoral skills. It doesn't even need great confidence. The one thing it genuinely needs is compassion. Caring for the things that people care about. Caring for the broken and the hurting being willing to understand the pain people are going through and then being willing to bring that pain before God. See, in this story of Capernaum, of the healing of the paralysed man, the religious experts who knew the uh, scriptures inside out, they had front row seats, yet they were passive. They were oblivious to the suffering that this man was going through. In fact, for them, this was an inconvenience. All it was doing was interrupting this moment of teaching. And it was stopping them from gaining more knowledge. The reality is, though, knowledge is meaningless without compassion that leads to action. The priesthood of all believers is more than a theology that gives us access to God. It's a mandate to actively practice the thing Brian McLaren calls, please. It's a call to compassion and to intercession on others' behalf. Imagine a world filled with people actively practicing these things. Stomachs will be filled, war zones invaded by peacemakers, tears dried. The result of this, 
of us practicing pleas is a better world. The kingdom of God breaking through and being present through our action. When we practice pleas, we'll have a greater understanding and reality of the heart of God. Growing us to become closer to him and being shaped by his love and his compassion. See, in the season of complexity, in this season of complexity, when we start to realise that things are difficult, when we start to have questions, when we start to say, where are you, God, in this place? We start to recognise our own shortcomings, our need for support. And in doing so, we recognise that in others. We recognise brokenness of the world and suffering of those around us. And when we're faced with this, we have choices. Do we ignore the suffering? Do we blame God? Do we blame others? Or do we push into God, try to understand the difficulties of people's lives and bring prayers and petitions to him on their behalf. I want to suggest this morning that these moments of complexity give us a great opportunity to push in to God, to practice compassion, to make a difference in the lives of those around us. We're about to respond in worship. If the worship band would like to come up, that would be amazing. We're about to respond in worship, but as we do this, I want to encourage you to reflect on the people in your lives, to reflect on the people who may need your intercession. Maybe it's someone who doesn't have a faith and they need you to pray for them on behalf of the situation that they're going through. Or maybe it's a friend that just needs their situation lifted before Jesus. Or maybe it's not a specific person at all, but a situation, something going on in the world that we need to be constantly lifting before God. My prayer for this morning is that we recognise that we have a mandate to intercession. And that God will give us the heart of compassion for his people. My prayer is, Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Shall we stand and pray? God, thank you that you are a God of love. You are a God of compassion. You are a God that truly cares for each of our situations, our pain, our suffering, our achievements, everything about us you truly care for. Lord, we're sorry for the times where out of maybe awkwardness, lack of confidence, whatever it is, despair, that we don't show compassion towards other people. 
God, we pray that you will help us to be more compassionate, more loving, to reflect you in our communities. Lord, may this theology, priesthood of all believers, become a reality, not just an academic idea, but a reality that we will go into our communities, into our workplaces, into our neighbourhoods, and see a role of being someone who intercedes, who lifts others up in prayer, who shows compassion. God, thank you that you deeply care. Lord, will you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Witch Riverside.